2nd Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. 7 through 10. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn of flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, and in distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. The Apostle Paul had suffered a lot of things in his life as an apostle, but he had also experienced a lot of positive things as an apostle of Jesus Christ. The book of Acts records a number of instances where Paul had conversations with the Lord, encounters, if you will, with deity, visions, and such like. And with those experiences came the possibility, according to Paul himself, that he could have been, in his own mind, exalted above measure. One translation reads that he might become conceited. And one of those instances that would lend itself to that possibility is mentioned here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, really beginning in verse 1. Go back and, and read through that on your own. Familiarize yourself with that. Basically, Paul was able to experience or see rather into the eternal spirit realm. Most uh, Bible students believe that when Paul begins that chapter, though he speaks in the third person, I know of someone who experienced this, that he's really talking about himself, especially as you get down into the text that we're going to be looking at as he references his thorn in the flesh, he then starts talking about himself. And so lest I be conceited above measure because of those revelations, this thorn in the flesh was given to me. So Paul was given that opportunity to see into that realm something that no one else had been able to experience. God does not always uh, cater, doesn't really at all cater to our curiosity. And so things that we might like to know about that, we're not told. God kept that to himself and did not uh, inspire Paul to go into more detail than that. But it was because of those visions, those revelations that he saw, it offered the opportunity to inflate his ego. And Paul recognized that, and so did God. And so God would see fit that Paul's ego remained in check. Now, we don't have to be a participant in visions and revelations like Paul was in order for us to need help with our egos. We can experience far less than what Paul did and still have problems sometimes with thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. And if I'm going to say that, then I need to make sure that I'm thinking of myself first and foremost. 
Preachers receive a lot of compliments. And make no mistake about it, we're grateful for those. They're encouraging. They build us up. But if we're not careful, they can also inflate our own egos. And so we have to be careful about that. We have to watch that. But it's not just preachers. Others can happen to them as well. Uh, perhaps maybe in your, um, your working environment, maybe you have reached a, a level of, of high authority or a, a, a high level of responsibility in your workplace, and that might offer the opportunity for you to think more highly of yourself than you ought. Elders as well. Uh, in the position that they're in, in an authoritative position in a local congregation, offers the opportunity uh, for egos to be inflated. And just the general uh, tenor of our culture, we live in an entitlement uh, mindset in our culture where so many folks have simply adopted the disposition that the world owes them practically everything. And if, if we embrace that culture just generally, is it too much of a step for us to then think that if the world owes us, then maybe God does too? And so it's entirely possible, regardless of one's status in life, it's entirely possible for all of us to face ego problems at times if we're not careful. We need to make sure that we're trying to keep those egos in check. Now, when it came to Paul's circumstance, God was going to use this thorn in the flesh, we'll talk about that in a moment, to teach Paul some valuable lessons on the subject of humility and some valuable lessons regarding the blessing, the blessing of human weakness. And maybe the lessons that God intended for Paul to learn are lessons that it would do us well to learn also. And so let's consider this text tonight and three points for your consideration from this text. Number one, thorns can come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. Thorns can come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. Paul says in our text, verse 7, so to keep me from becoming conceited or uh, to keep him from getting this inflated ego, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to buffet me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Well, what was it? What was Paul's thorn in the flesh? I have the definitive answer on that. Aren't you glad? I don't know, and neither do you. That's the definitive answer. We really don't know what his thorn in the flesh was. A lot of things have been offered uh, by way of explanation. I'll mention a couple of those in a moment. But let's just look specifically at the terminology. The word thorn there literally means a pointed stake. And to refer to a thorn in the flesh is to, re is to use... Uh, an idiomatic expression for something that causes severe trouble or difficulty. And borrowing from this text, we use that terminology that way as well, even in our day. And so this was some kind of 
something in Paul's life that caused him some large degree, high degree of trouble or difficulty. He even refers to it as a messenger of Satan in the text. Something evidently that Satan was directly responsible for, intending him harm, but God was going to use it, God was going to allow it to happen, but would use it for some needed and necessary discipline in Paul's life. And so specifically, whatever this thing was, we don't know. Several things have been conjectured. Probably the the most popular um, idea as to what that might have been is is some kind of eye trouble, some, some difficulties with his sight. And that's based upon a number of, of passages and texts where Paul seems to indicate that he may well have had some kind of difficulty in seeing. Uh, one occasion when he was on trial before the high priest and he, he said something to the high priest and was called uh, to account for that and said, do you revile God's high priest? And his response was, I didn't realize that that was the high priest. And so some have have conjectured Paul was coming through Judaism. Don't you think he'd know who the high priest was in Judaism? But if perhaps he was not able to see very clearly, he might not have realized that that was the individual he was talking to at that time. That's just one of the the instances. In Galatians, he mentions to the Galatians, you know, uh, I know you well enough to know that you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me had you been able to do that. Some have said, well, perhaps that was the problem that he had, a physical malady of that sort. And he would write to the Thessalonians, see with what large letters I write unto you with my own hand, uh, indicating that perhaps, again, if he had eye difficulties, that he might have had to have written in large letters so that he himself could even see what he was writing. All those things are, you know, those are kind of the main ones that people pull and say, well, perhaps this thorn in the flesh was some kind of difficulty seeing that Paul had. Is that possible? Sure, it's possible, but we don't know for certain. I've seen other things that have been offered as possibilities uh, to this. Uh, I, I've read where some thought it was malaria. I, I don't know where they, uh, you know, what evidence they uh, got to um, come up with that. I've heard migraines. Uh, I've heard uh, uh, sexual temptation might have been Paul's thorn in the flesh. Speech problems. Inability to verbally communicate as well as he would like. Uh, he did reference the fact that he. Uh, didn't consider himself to be a, a very great uh, eloquent speaker to the Corinthians in his letter to them. Some have conjectured that. Uh, one that I read recently uh, that, uh, that that seems to, to have some merit uh, was that this was Paul's own way of referring to the severe uh, opposition and persecution that came to him from the Jewish element uh, both in the church and out of the church as a possibility. So there are all kinds of different uh, ideas that people have come up with to try to harmonize the passages, use the evidence we have to come up with an idea. But as I said a moment ago, we really don't know. Nobody knows for certain what it was. And perhaps that ambiguity was for a reason. I would argue that it was on purpose because God doesn't do anything by accident. And so the ambiguity with which Paul expressed himself here under the direction of the Holy Spirit was for some reason. But perhaps the ambiguity was to allow maybe for you and me to more easily identify our own thorns. That thorns in the flesh can come in all shapes and sizes. And that your thorn in the flesh, if you have one that that 
corresponds to a similar purpose as Paul's, would be different than his uh, in, in the particulars. Maybe it's some kind of weakness uh, that you struggle with, the temptation that you struggle with. Maybe it is something physical, as perhaps Paul's might have been. Maybe it's a life situation in which you find yourself that offers some kind of, of uh, extra added difficulty. It, it, there, there could be a lot of things that bring into our lives heartache and difficulty, things that make us have to rely on God maybe just a little bit more. So thorns can come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. Number two. Thorns can have their purpose. Thorns have a purpose. Paul's, in particular, he said it was this, lest I be exalted above measure, to be overly proud, to be conceited, to be disparaging toward others. And Paul's visions, revelations, could have led him to that. We mentioned that earlier. But this thorn in the flesh that Paul faced had a purpose behind it to not allow him to reach that point of looking down on others and overly exalting himself. See, God is concerned with how we think about ourselves. And God's concerned about that from both ends of that spectrum. Certainly, we should not think less of ourselves than God wants for us. You know, we were made in His image after all. Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. That's a special thing. No other part of God's creation was made like that. To bear His image. And so that ought to give us a high level of appreciation for and thankfulness for who we are. Just by the creation itself. And so we shouldn't think less of ourselves than is right and is proper. The psalmist in Psalm 8, What is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that you visit him? You have made him just a little lower than the angels. Psalm 8, verses 4 and 5. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And so we shouldn't think less of ourselves than is proper, but we also should not think more of ourselves than is proper. God's concerned about that on both sides. And so we shouldn't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Romans 12, verse 3. And God is not above using outside sources to pound away at our egos if necessary. Just ask Paul. Now let me quickly add that it doesn't mean that every kind of hardship that we may face is for this particular purpose. Paul mentions that his was, uh, and he was right uh, you know, in his own assessment of his circumstances. But just because we may face some kind of difficulty or hardship or, or physical illness or disease or something like that doesn't automatically mean that, that this is the exact same circumstance that Paul found himself in. But it does leave open the possibility that God may be trying to use certain circumstances in our lives, even outside sources of difficulty and heartache, that He might be trying to use those things to pound away at our egos. We must at least leave open that possibility. 
And so this messenger of Satan, Paul says, was sent to buffet me, harass me. Literally, the word means to strike with a fist. It's the same word used in Matthew 26, verse 67, to describe some of the treatment that Jesus was receiving when He was on trial. To strike with the fist, to torment, to cause harm. Paul said that was the intention. And he uses the present tense. The idea of ongoing action. And so the idea in, in back of the language there, the syntax, the grammar, was that God was consistently, through this thorn in the flesh, beating Paul's pride into submission. It's quite a picture, actually. Because you see, a proud, boastful, egotistical Paul would have been devastating to the spread of the gospel. But a humble Paul would enhance it. May I say that same thing can be true of us. Prideful, egotistical, boastful Christians do not help with the spreading of the gospel. But humble Christians do. So thorns can come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, and they can have their purpose. But number three... Thorns can be turned from negatives to positives. Thorns can be turned from negatives to positives. It's interesting to me, but not surprising, that Paul's first reaction to the existence of this thorn, whatever it was, was to seek its removal. But who wouldn't? As he described it, as, as this messenger of Satan sent to, to buffet him, to pound him, the natural reaction of any of us to having something like that in our lives is to seek its removal, and that was Paul's. And so he said, I, I, I besought the Lord multiple times, pleaded with Him to have that messenger removed. And that word removed in uh, verse number 8, that it be removed is the same word that can be translated apostasy. When you talk about someone who commits apostasy, abandons the faith altogether, completely and totally leaves it, that's the word Paul uses. He said, I wanted that messenger of Satan, that thorn in my flesh, to commit apostasy from me. I wanted it to be completely removed. He sought its removal. You know, Jesus did that too. Remember the garden? If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But the Lord also understood that more important than His own personal comfort was the completion of God's will. And so, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Paul had a similar disposition even though he wanted for the thorn to depart, God's answer to him was no. 
My grace is sufficient for you. You know, we seldom recognize the benefits of our trials at the beginning of those trials. Isn't that true? Haven't you found that in your own life? That it's really not until perhaps the trial is over that you can look back then and see the benefits of it. When the trials are starting or when we're right in the middle of them, it's hard sometimes to see the benefit. And so we seek the removal of it. Well, Paul did that. But when God's answer to him was no, Paul accepted it. When the Lord responded to him and said, Paul, my grace is enough. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul accepted it. And sometimes, we, we, sometimes that's the only choice we have. Is to accept what is. And to look for the lessons that God intends for us to learn from those difficulties. The Lord's grace was sufficient. Enough to satisfy. You see, heaven's perspective was different than what Paul's had previously been about this thorn. And it's only when we come face to face with our weaknesses and our inadequacies that we can then realize how much we need God's power and God's help at work in our own lives. And that was God's message to Paul. It's only in your weakness that my power is made perfect. So this is necessary. You see, it's only when we're willing to admit that we can't do it alone that the power of Christ will rest on us. Rest there means to take up residence in. Sometimes we face difficulties in life that we could describe as thorns in our flesh. Sometimes we face those things because we need a reminder of who's God and who's not. See, sometimes we just try to get through life on our own, on our own power, on our own ability, on our own common sense, on our own everything. Sometimes our difficulties force us to face the fact that we can't do it alone. We can't do it on our own. That we have to rely on God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Ephesians 3 verse 20. And so with that explanation, Paul looked at his thorn in the flesh <clears throat> through fresh eyes. And it was then that he decided that he could find occasion for joy. That he would gladly boast in his weakness. Look at the end of verse 9. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul said, you know what? I will take pleasure in anything that brings me closer to God. That's, that's the disposition that we all need to try to develop. That if in the process of life we go through some of the, the, the most difficult heartbreaking circumstances. If in the process of dealing with all of that, we are brought closer to God, 
then we can even look back on those difficulties and say, you know what? I'm going to be grateful for that. Because it ultimately brought me closer to God. And so Paul said, you know what? I'm going to wear this thorn in the flesh as a badge of honor. Because it's only through this weakness of mine that God is able to show His power in my life. And if that's what we want, if we want for God to be active in our lives, for God to be sufficient for us, well, it's in our weaknesses that God shows His sufficiency. It's in our times of difficulty and heartache that God is able to best work in our lives and show Himself to be a part of our lives. It's not through our strengths that God works most powerfully, but through our weaknesses. Too much confidence in our own power often leads to a lack of reliance on God, which may then cause God to spank our britches with a thorny little switch that wakes us up to the fact that we really do need Him. And if Paul needed that kind of a reminder, how much more do I? Verse 10, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Do you need to bow yourself humbly to the loving discipline of God in your own life? If you do, I suggest that Paul is teaching us that if we'll do that, we'll find strength that perhaps we never thought was available before. The more we recognize how much we need God, the more that enables God to work in and through our circumstances to bring about His glory. So maybe you need to give up. Give up fighting. Give up fighting God. Give up fighting against His Word. Give up trying to do it all your own way and admit that the only way is to do it His way. Trust Him. He knows what He's doing. He made you. He knows how you tick. Trust Him. And embrace what He's offering you. And He's offering it for free. If you need to come to Jesus, putting your faith, your confidence, your trust in Him, turning from your sins and penitence, being willing to confess your faith. And if you're willing to allow yourself to be 
immersed in water, baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, we're ready to help you complete your obedience to the gospel. But I know probably most of you in this assembly tonight are already Christians, but it may be that you haven't been living your life the way you know a Christian should. Maybe you've been relying on your own power, your own thoughts, your own ideas, instead of trying to humbly submit yourself to God. If you recognize that in your own life and are ready to make a change, I encourage you, there's no reason to wait. Make it. And if we might be of some assistance to you in praying with you and praying for you, then we invite you to come as well as we stand together and sing.